chapter 3. And Paul begins to really dig in here to this conflict we've been talking about. We've dealt with chapter 1, chapter 2, knowing that he's going to get to, in this church in Corinth, that they are dealing with divisions in the church. They're dealing with conflict in the church. And he's been laying out this case for them that though they trusted in the wisdom of God for their salvation, now as Christians and believers, they're leaning back into the wisdom of man, and that's causing this problem in their church there. And it's unfortunate because this is a highly gifted church, especially in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They would seem to exercise them with stronger spiritual muscles than lots of the other churches, but then they were allowing worldly wisdom to kind of dictate the other things they would do, and it was just hurting this church in a big way. Paul has laid out the case then in chapter 2 about true wisdom. And God's wisdom is true wisdom and how man's wisdom, though often good for the time, is eternally flawed because it puts man at the center. But God's wisdom, though it comes through the foolishness of man's preaching and through this odd thing of the gospel, that God himself would die for the sins of these humans, but he wouldn't stay dead, he would rise again. And because he conquered death and hell and the grave and caged Satan, then our sins can be eternally forgiven and we can be put back in relationship with God. Which seems so foolish by human terms. If God truly is God, then why not just pounce and conquer Satan? Why die? And so Paul laid out this case and said, but this is how you were saved. Now he addresses them again as brothers, but he gets down to the nitty gritty, the hard stuff. So let's read together. We're going to be dealing with verses 1 through 9. We're only going to deal with the first four verses tonight. Because that's all we have time for. But I want to read to you from verse 1 through 9 to get us going here. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not yet carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. In these first four verses, we're going to see Paul present the issue. And the next time, in verses 5 through 9, we're going to see him offering a solution. So let's pray together and we'll get into this. Lord, thank you for time together with the church and your word. Thank you for the time singing your hymns. Thank you for the time in prayer. But Lord, now as we enter into this time in your word, we ask your blessing upon it. May we grow thereby. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has established that there are those in the world who are saved. He calls them spiritual. 
and that there are those who are unsaved. He calls them the natural man. And we were all at one point the natural man until we were saved. If you've never been saved, that's where you are. Your solution tonight, and all you need to hear me say, is you must be born again and be saved. That, that, is, that is what you need for the rest of eternity, is to be saved by God's grace. Now Paul's going to take this further then, because he's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of saved people who formed together to worship God and to spread the gospel according to the Great Commission. And he explains that among those saved, there are immature Christians who he calls carnal. Now he's not calling them unsaved because he calls them brothers. Verse three, or verse 1 in chapter 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you. So he calls them brothers, but he also calls them carnals. So we would take this and, and we would create the term a carnal Christian or an immature Christian. So that's the title tonight. What is the issue in the Corinthian church? What is the issue in the American church? What is the issue with Harpeth Baptist Church? What do we need to be aware of? What do we need to be working on according to 1 Corinthians 3? Spiritual immaturity. These people were spiritually immature. There were those who were carnal, immature. And then there were those who were spiritual, meaning they were mature in the faith. And he writes that the Corinthian believers did not behave like people who've been taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been able in chapter 2 to spend a lot of time dealing with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what a blessing that has been to me, and I hope it was to you as well, to remember that we're not just God's soldiers down here while He's there in the, the heavenlies, and He's given us this book, and we in our own strength have to go by the book and fight the good fight. No, we're, we're actually indwelled by God Himself, His Holy Spirit. But Paul says, knowing this, Corinthian church, you're not acting like people who are filled with the Spirit, who are taught by the Spirit, who understand the Word according to the Spirit. Although they were believers, they were acting like unbelievers by quarreling and by being jealous of one another. So he presents the issue, beginning in verse 1, with this idea of them being babes in Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Men, has it been very long that your wife has said to you, oh, you're being a big baby about this. Am I the only one that gets this? The rest of you don't want to admit it. Okay, Stephen's admitting it back there. No, I'm saying it's just you. Oh, well. There we go. Well, this is what Paul says here. He calls them brothers. I'm glad he calls them brothers. It's helpful me, for me to read this and remember that these harsh rebukes can come in love. They can come from brothers. They can come amongst brothers and sisters in the faith. And ladies, don't misunderstand the genderisms being used here. This includes you as well. If you have any, any knowledge of any literature throughout history. What gender always is dominant? The masculine gender. Does that leave out the feminine gender? Not at all. It is understood. I was taught that in third grade, believe it or not. That even though it doesn't say she, in a given sentence it includes she, and everybody can be happy about that. What a wonderful world we live in. <laughs> 
So as we get into this, it's talking about brothers, meaning this family, this church family, brothers and sisters in the faith. But he says to them, there's this family affection here, but there's going to be some strong words coming. But they're not motivated by my anger at you. They're motivated by my love for you in regards to this. And then he recalls when he was first with them. And he's done that a lot in this letter. He said, now when I was first with you, it was like this. Now I'm having to write back to you because it's not like that anymore. When I was first with you, I couldn't speak unto you as spiritual. I had to speak unto you as carnal because that's kind of where you were. You were babes in Christ. You were immature Christians. It's no different for you and I when we're first saved. We begin this lifelong journey towards spiritual maturity. Let me give you some proof texts here. Hold your place in Corinthians and look at Ephesians chapter 4. It's just to the right, a couple books over from... Corinthians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17, or verse 14 down through verse 17. Paul writes here to the church in Ephesus, he says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro. Now if you've been in Sunday mornings as we talk about James, does that bring anything to mind? He talks about if we're double-minded, then we'll be wishy-washy like a wave of the sea, back and forth. Here, James is, is, is abiding with Paul here in this idea as he says, We shouldn't be like children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And this is very similar to what he's having to say to the church in Corinth. There's an issue with their thinking. They've, he, he says it here directly. They've, they've started thinking like the Gentiles think. This means those outside the faith, those who are, we would say in our time, who are worldly and not acting like the church. And he goes through several good things here. We need to grow up in the faith. We can't act like children anymore. Why? Because we're a body. We're a body fitly joined together. Every part of this body supplies something to this effectual working inside of our faith, he says here. So what are we to do? We're to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in the faith. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Just a few more verses to the right. Hebrews chapter 5. It's page 1430 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps any of you. Chapter 5 verse 11. The writer to the Hebrews says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and to become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now you see the writer to the Hebrews take 
the same idea from the Corinthians, the letter to the Ephesians, and now this writer brings it out to those who would be converted Jews that made up these churches. This same idea. Babes can drink milk. We got Eli back there. Did he, he already give up on me? It's all he could take. He <laughs> stepped on his toes. Is he, he's not having hamburgers yet, I don't imagine. No. Does Will? Yeah, how old is Will? Almost two. Guarantee you, this dude who's had hamburgers now, do you all know Will? Will will shoot you if you're not careful. He carries pistols with him everywhere he goes. He's almost two, and he'll, he'll get you. I love it. <laughs> but I guarantee you, if you had dinner with Will, and you said, here's some milk, you're, just, you're still a baby. He is still a baby. He's almost two. This guy's going to want a bite of your hamburger. He's had it now. It would be unnatural for him to say, nah, let me just have milk. And Paul's writing to the Corinthian church here, and he says, when I first came, you were babes. It was okay that I had to feed you milk. In fact, milk's a good thing. Aren't you glad when you were a baby that there was milk? That you could be nourished up and grow to be able to get meat. But Paul's going to go on here and make this point and say, now I'm writing back to you. And I'm having to write back with milk. I should be able to write back with meat. Because you're acting carnal. You're acting like you were when I first came. You can go back to Corinthians there. New believers initially will think and live just as they did before they believed in Christ. I mean, you do hear these stories of people that, you know, they got saved on Sunday morning and they preached on Sunday night. You know, they, they just immediately were these different people. But for most of us, the regular folks out here, sanctification is a process and it takes a bit for us to grow. I think I might be a slow learner. I'm doing my best, but I often say to the Lord, I should be better than this by now. And he says, I know, and you need, you need to do it right. And I say, yes, sir, right? But, but for new believers, I think it, it, Paul writes this as if the Holy Spirit had indwelt the Corinthian believers, but the Spirit's sanctifying work had not progressed very far when he first ministered to them. Maybe you've been there. How many of you remember this time in your life where you knew you were saved, but you weren't growing? Is that, a, is that a thing for some of you? That was a thing for me. Maybe you weren't being fed. Or maybe you were just busy. You just weren't growing in the faith. You felt like you were going to heaven, but maybe you didn't even know why. You, you knew about the gospel, but you didn't really know much more about Jesus. You didn't, you didn't know much about doctrine. Well, I think this is what Paul was dealing with here initially. They couldn't receive much in the way of the Spirit, because they were spiritual infants in Christ. And he says this here. You were babes in Christ. Now, there's a positive here in regards to being babes in Christ. In fact, Peter will write, and I didn't write the reference down in my notes. I want to say it's like 1 Peter chapter 1. You just have to go look it up. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's a positive to the milk of the word. Anybody know the reference off the top of your head? Got it memorized? 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Good job. Oh, you've got the cross-reference. So we won't give Michelle the credit. We'll give her study Bible the credit. Thanks for being honest. This is the positive to the sincere milk 
of the word. In fact, Jesus is going to go on to say, we haven't gotten there in our study in Luke. Luke chapter 18, verse 17. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So there is a positive to this childlike faith and this sort of childishness in the faith as we grow. But Paul is not writing in the positive here. He's writing in the negative for sure. He says, you're not spiritual, but you are carnal. Now, later on in 1 Corinthians 14, he's going to clarify more for them. In verse 20, he will say there, brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Oh, in the, in the horrible things of life, malice. Be like children. Be innocent and ignorant. Don't be involved in these things because you don't even know about them yet. But hey, when it comes to understanding, you should be men. You should not be like children in your understanding. Now that is sort of the whole, God from heaven has given us the book and said, be my soldier and fight the good fight. Run the race. That is a little bit of that. But there's more to it. And Paul's already made that case as he said, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. R.C. Sproul says here, since the Corinthians had received the Holy Spirit, they were spiritual in the most fundamental sense. But their behavior was so inconsistent with that truth that Paul had to treat them as people who had little understanding of what it means to think and live as those who belong to the new age. Probably, I might get in trouble for saying this, but probably the the polar opposite of R.C. Sproul, and not in a lot of ways but at least in how they spoke, was J. Vernon McGee. And so I'll give you J. Vernon McGee behind this. He says, The carnal Christian is the one who hasn't grown up spiritually. And it is evident that he lacks spiritual discernment, not because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, but because he is not growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Again, this is a consequence of his relationship to the Word of God that it is so important to see. This unnatural man, this carnal Christian, is a babe in Christ. He has an ability but no desire. A baby has the potential to become a learned man, but he has to start out by drinking the milk of the word. And that's what Paul gets into then in verse 2. As he says, You're babes in Christ, so I fed you with milk and not meat. I have fed you with milk and not meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. The Corinthian believers had at first received only the Simple, the introductory teachings of the faith. They weren't ready for the deeper. They weren't ready for the more difficult matters. Paul taught them elementary truths. These things that he calls milk. They were not able to take meat because of their immaturity. I don't know whose class this is. Miss Wiggins, have y'all recently done Samson? Nope, uh, it's not yours. And so I guess I can get away with saying this, and I won't hurt anybody's feelings. But we, we were joking in the lobby there with Jason and Leanna, because I think this past week J- Joshua has cut Ruth's hair. See if Jason can confirm that for us. He said, what? Why are you talking about this in front of everybody? <laughs> so in Joshua's defense, he said, Mama. I was trying to make Ruth strong like Samson. You got it, right? You, I mean, the story's backwards, the gender's backwards, the, the whole thing. This is a great illustration for what we're talking about tonight. Paul said, you're, 
you're trying to drive a car, but you're going in reverse when you should be going forward. You're going left when you should be going right. Your feet don't even reach the paddles yet. When I first came to you, I fed you with milk, not with meat. You weren't able to take it because of your immaturity. And, and we, we would use immaturity as an insult. This is not a slap in the face. This is just a statement of a fact. He just said you were spiritually immature. And if you're new to the faith, it's not an insult. It could be an excuse if you need it to be. But what's sad here in this text is now he's writing back sometime later. And he says, then you weren't able to eat meat, and still you're not able. You should have abandoned these worldly practices already. But you're remaining immature in your faith. And as a result, you are still worldly. You're still acting like unbelievers. And sadly, for the case he's laid out here against the Corinthian church, unbelievers have an excuse. They lack the Holy Spirit of God. But he's been clear in chapter 2 that these people have the Holy Spirit of God. So they shouldn't be acting as if they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul writes to address them. Warren Wiersbe writes here about verse 2. As Paul says, I fed you with milk and not for meat because you weren't able to bear it. Wiersbe says the word of God is our spiritual food. It's milk, it's bread, it's meat, even honey in Psalm 119. Just as a physical man needs a balanced diet if his body is to be healthy, so the inner man needs a balanced diet of spiritual food. Several years back, Belinda Greer, after many stories of me talking about eating donuts, brought me a coffee mug that I love. I hope it's not ruined from the tornado. It's probably, hopefully, just packed up. But it had a bunch of donuts on the front, and it said, eat a, eat a whole food diet, H-O-L-E, or something like that, you know? And I said, amen to that. But we understand that in the physical. It's no different in the spiritual. We need a balanced diet of spiritual food. Just as a baby begins with milk... And grows and his bones and his teeth develop and he needs solid food. It's not difficult, Wiersbe says, I'm quoting again, to determine a believer's spiritual maturity or immaturity if you discover what kind of diet they enjoy. The immature believer lives on Bible stories and not Bible doctrines. And there's nothing wrong with loving Bible stories, but somewhere in there you have to start understanding the Bible doctrines. When I was a child, I spake as a child... When I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a child, I loved the story of David and Goliath because I thought, I have a slingshot too. Maybe one day I'll kill a giant with it. That's a fine application for a six-year-old. But if now in my 40s I'm saying the same thing and that's how I understand the story of David and Goliath, I'm missing the point about God that's in there. That even the writer said, this is the story so that all may glorify David's God. We have to get past the Bible stories and start getting into the Bible doctrines. And even with that, I would encourage you, get settled on some of these doctrines so you can move to other doctrines. I, I love conferences. I love going to Bible conferences. It's been wonderful in the last seven to nine years seeing in these conferences um, a, a modern resurgence of particular doctrines. It's been great to see that People are not flimsy about them as they have been in just the maybe the, the 2000s or the 90s or the 80s. That they're proud of them. They, they love the doctrines that they're talking about from the word. But then over time I begin to think to myself, okay, we got it. Give us something else. 
And you go the next year to that conference. Or you go to a, a different conference. And it seems to be focused on the same old things. And, and maybe that's the Lord's will. Maybe that's how it needs to be for a time. My point is simply this. If we're not careful, we'll kind of find our little niche. And that's where we'll be. And we'll stick there. And we'll never grow past that. We had a dear friend in Georgia. Excellent high school baseball player. Uh, had a right out of high school signed an agreement with the New York Yankees to go to one of their farm teams. He worked hard all summer doing construction to earn the money he was going to need to be able to travel there. He wasn't going to get it paid much, but he was going to be on the New York Yankees farm team as a pitcher. Big deal. His last day at work, he was going to go play on the go to sh- show up for the training the very next day. He falls off the roof, broke both of his wrists. So, what 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 every uh, adult in here, Jack, you can't address this. Stephen, you're still too young to address this. But all of you all of you men with jobs and wives and families now, what did this mean? Baseball's over. You're going to have to work. I was friends with, the, with this guy until we moved away from Georgia. Aunt Rodonna, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He never, ever got over it. He balded. He got a belly. He, uh, he, he was 20 years older than me, probably. I was his son's high school baseball coach. And I knew this guy's a great pitcher, and I said, Come, pit, come coach the pitchers. Nah, I'm still working on my game. We're still going to get in the league. We're still going to pitch the, the balls there. No, this is, not, this is not healthy. This is not wise. It wasn't good for him. He was stuck on Bible stories in the spiritual sense and not able to get to the doctrine. Or he was stuck on this doctrine and not able to get to, to more doctrines. Why is, why is your faith so limited? Why do you struggle in some areas all the time and you never can seem to get past them? Well, have you, what have you learned in the last year? What have you learned in the last three years? What have you learned since, since you were first saved? What have you added to your faith as you've renewed your mind with the Word through the illumination of the Holy Spirit? MacArthur writes here, Spiritual immaturity makes one unable to receive the richest truths. I want to be able to receive the richest truths. They're they're written for us. They're given to us by the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to receive them. In verse 3 then, Paul says, you're still carnal. So you're babes in Christ. So I had to feed you with milk and not meat. And he says, now you're you're still carnal. Verse 3, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not yet carnal and walk in men? The Greek word for carnal here is S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S, sarkikos. We say it in the English in carnal, but I want you to make sure you understand what carnal means. It means fleshly. You are still fleshly. You are still physical. If, if Paul is saying to these people, you are still physical, he's saying you are not spiritual. You're concerned with the material. You're you're living in the characteristics of this world and its attributes and its concerns as opposed to the supernatural that we've been brought into by our faith. My wife said to me recently, she said, I'm not trying to discourage you in this, but I just want you to know that more than usual, you've been talking about the Holy Spirit lately and you've really been on the healing kick lately. That sounded bad, didn't it? (laughs) I've been on the healing kick lately. 
And I said, well, and I, and I thought about that, and I thought through what she was saying there. And I came to this conclusion. I said, you know, if this guy right here, and, and it didn't have to be me, it could be Bob, whoever's the guy up here feeding you the word, if that guy can't be 100% sure that an almighty God can heal all our diseases, then what good am I doing the rest of you? If every time something comes up, I just say, well, let's just trust the Lord and read the Word and just leave it at that. No, I'm fine with that. We are going to trust the Lord. And we are going to read the Word. But for too long here, I've neglected the Holy Spirit as your pastor. And I've left off some of these wonderful things in the Scripture. And and I want to kind of be God's rah-rah guy in regards to these things now. So let's fast tomorrow and say, Lord, take the, the cancer right out of Michael's hip. Confuse his doctors when he goes back in. Now, I get the other side of that, because I've lived in the other side of that the last 10 years as your pastor. And I said, let's not get into all that, because then somebody's going to get discouraged when it doesn't happen. Well, here's what I've learned in 10 years of pastoring. We're already all discouraged. Let's have some faith. And Michael, sorry to make you the, the illustration of the point tonight. I don't mean to point you out there. We're too carnal. We're too opposed to the supernatural. I don't think we mean to be. I don't think we realize that we are. But this idea started infiltrating the church as early as the 60s, believe it or not. I can can walk you through modern church history and the movements. A guy who got very famous writing a secular book that had to do with psychology, and it was like get-to-know-you type psychology, salesman. He was a salesman, started a church movement based off of it because he figured he could make more money off of it. In California, nothing good comes out of California. (laughs) By the way, you people who've migrated here before the election, we need you all to turn in your votes to us to have us check them. You can't come out here re-voting and changing stuff. Yes, sir, Brother Huck. Yeah, that's right. Okay, one good thing could come out of California. Fine. Oh, is that the problem? Okay. All right. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> Point being, this idea, I call it uh, Coke and a Smile Theology. You remember the old song, I like to buy the world a Coke? It, it infiltrated the churches. One of the most, there are a lot of corrupt ideas that came along with it, and it seemed good. And it's made its way all the way to the East Coast. There are a lot of large buildings with big congregations that whether you knew it or not, if you ever attended one, this was the, in, their, in their, their fabric of how they were built. And I would say it did a lot of good for the world. But had this one bad, bad, bad part of their theology. If we'll just let the world get a little more comfortable with us, we'll be able to reach more of the world. It just doesn't work. And we're, we're, we're far enough along in this now that we can look back in the, just the last 20, 30 years statistics in the churches and say, yes, largest Easter crowds that we've ever had, but less conversions than we've ever had. Yes, biggest youth groups and youth events that we've ever had but the largest percentages of teenagers, once they're out from under mom and dad's shadow, leaving the church than have ever left the church in history. Not just in the last 10 years, not in the last just 30 years. In the history of the church. 
We have to wake up to this and say, all right, something's not right. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's not right. We've taken the world's wisdom. We've abandoned biblical wisdom. We've become afraid of the supernatural because we don't want to seem wacky to the world. You know what the world really needs? A kind of wacky church in its town. These crazy-eyed, Bible-thumping people who believe in this weird thing about hearing the Holy Spirit and listening to the Word and doing what He says. They believe in miracles and healing and they do all this crazy stuff. And they're so happy about it. They have peace at night. They all like each other. Well, that's a tall order. Maybe not that one, but the rest. I like you. I don't like your football team, but I like you. Is that, is that allowable? Sorry, Preston. I tried to be a Titans fan and a UT fan. I just can't do it. What's Paul's proof here? He says, you're carnal. Sarkikos, fleshly, material, physically minded. Well, he says it's because of your envying and your strife and your divisions. For you are yet carnal, for as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Let me quickly finish here. Envying is jealousy. It's resentment. Uh, when you use the word envying instead of jealousy or resentment, especially in Scripture, it means these things with zeal. You're, you're not only this way, but you're, you're pumped about being this way. It's a prideful longing for something that belongs to another with zeal. Especially things that are intangible, like a, like a skill or a state of mind. You, this envying was in, infecting this church. Strife was infecting this church. This is contention. It's bitter conflict, heated dissension, rivalry, discord. And then he said these are divisions. That's discord that splits the group. Look at Romans, just a couple pages back. Romans 16. This was happening in the church in Rome as well. But I'm going to kind of get you the, the cliff notes for Corinthians. To the Romans, Paul said this. Now, verse 17. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the, sin, of the simple. So what are we supposed to do? You become aware and you avoid. Paul says to the Corinthians, you can go back to Corinthians 3 here. You're carnal because there's envying and strife and divisions among you. Calvin laid this out well. He said, observe, however, the elegant arrangement that Paul here pursues. From envying spring up contentions, and these, when they have been enkindled, break out into deadly sects. And the mother of all these evils is ambition. Paul later writes in Titus 1.16, he says, They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being an abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. J. Vernon McGee notes that when we see divisions and gossips and strife and bitterness and hatred, we know that the flesh is on display. McDonald says the Corinthians had divided themselves into quarreling parties, employing the pretenses of human arrogance and worldly wisdom to fight one another. This behavior revealed that they lived by the principles of the world rather than by the teaching of the Spirit. They acted like mere men, not like people in Christ who had the Holy Spirit. We are not mere men. 
We are in Christ. We, we have the Holy Spirit. We do have His book. So Paul asks here, it says, Are you not being fleshly and behaving like the world? Verse 4, he goes on then to make the point that you're being like those who, who do not have the Holy Spirit. You have Him, but you quench Him. And let's be clear what we mean when we say those with the Holy Spirit. And then furthermore, let's be clear when we talk about those who are saved and filled and walking in the Holy Spirit. Because there's a difference. When you are justified, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit of God, meaning He indwells you. That's how you are justified. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've not been saved. I can walk you through that if you need me to, but I don't have time tonight. But in that process of sanctification then, we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Mostly, I would say it looks like not you trying to get more of Him, you just letting Him have all of you. It's kind of how you get filled. Empty you, full of Him, right? That's the best way to say it. And then walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? Lord, what would you have me to do? Holy Spirit, guide my path. What's today? What should today look like? We talked about that a lot last, the last two weeks. But Paul isn't addressing the unsaved here. He's addressing the saved who've been filled with the Spirit, who aren't walking like they are full of the Spirit. Let me show you Galatians. The, the nursery's giving me the stink eye back there. Galatians 6, Galatians 5. I think this lays it out well. Galatians 5.16. Are you ready? This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay? Everybody good there? What should we be doing according to Galatians 5.16? Walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? I love Spurgeon's notes on this. If you've got the Spurgeon study Bible there, you probably have this. He says, it means you're not walking in the flesh. I was, I was expected. Spurgeon to give me something real supernatural, you know, mystical. And he said, no, just, if you're walking in the Spirit, then you're not feeling the lust of flesh. And I, I went to a verse that said, pray in the Spirit. And I was like, all right, teach me, Spurgeon, how to pray in the Spirit. If anybody was full of the Holy Spirit when he prayed, it was Charles Spurgeon. As he walked up the steps to his pulpit, he would say on every step, I believe in the Holy Ghost, I believe in the Holy Ghost, I believe in the Holy Ghost, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Why do you do that? And he said, because I believe in the Holy Ghost. Well, if anybody could teach me how to pray in the Spirit, then I want to be doing this, right? And my charismatic friends, they say, oh, well, we, we do this babbling prayer, and that's how we pray in the Spirit. And I say, well, I, I babble a lot, but it's usually because I don't know what I'm saying. Or I'm so broken I can't get my words to come out. But I never thought that was praying in the Spirit. And Spurgeon says, well, how to pray in the Spirit? Don't pray in the flesh. Amen. You didn't know you were so Pentecostal, did you? Verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit that you fulfill not the lust of the flesh. And then, and then he's going to lay this out for us. Which is which? I like when the Bible is clear like this. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. That's where I want to live. You? Yes. If I've got a, a mule in the ditch... On the day that I'm not supposed to, I want to go ahead and get him out. I like being led of the Spirit and not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Okay, here's how we know. If we're being fleshly, adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is this, can we prove text from Galatians and go back to the Corinthians and say, although Paul called you brothers, we think you're going to hell? No. Because that's Paul's point. You're brothers. I affirm you in this. But you're not acting like it. That's what he's saying. Verse 22. The good part. The fruit of the Spirit is... So we saw the fruit of the, of, of the flesh. Wild sinning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And there comes the law again. Against such there is no law. If we walk in the Spirit, we are not under the law. What does that look like? Well, it's these things against such there is no law. We should be full of love. We should be full of joy. We should be full of peace. You know what I do in my life when I can't find peace? Always, step one for me. Pluck out sin. And I think maybe we overthink sinning. Don't answer this out loud. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. We don't need to hear it from you. What is basic sin? See, I didn't need you to answer that out loud. But let me tell you what basic sin is. Disobeying God. What is the base behind disobeying God? Lack of faith and trust in Him. So we begin to trust everything else. We stop to trust Him. And then we disobey. And then we begin to sin. Well, I can't get peace. Step one, deal with your sin. And then sin can be a lot of other things. It could be adultery, witchcraft, hatred, envying. But typically for the average church-going Christian, it's as simple as just, I, I didn't trust God in that, and I should have. We should have these fruits of the Spirit evident in our lives. Verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. This is going to take you crucifying your flesh. You have to die to yourself. If we, and Jesus illustrated that for us, didn't he? I mean, we're about to go through Holy Week. He rode into town. The people laid out the palm branches and said, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They did not expect him to end up on a cross. They expected him to end up on a throne. We get saved and we're thinking about that mansion and those streets of gold. And we want to be enthroned. Well, you don't get enthroned until you've carried your cross. You're going to have to die. And usually that dying is just simply going to be to you. Some go through life and they actually have to die for the faith. We call those martyrs. But there's few of those in the grand scheme of how many actual Christians there are. Some make these major sacrifices because God gives them a specific colleague for that. But they're usually the unique ones in the crowd. And then there's just the crowd. Well, if we're just the crowd tonight, what does dying to ourselves look like? We must crucify our flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. See, there's where he makes a difference. What does he mean if we live in the Spirit? Well, if you've been saved. If you're saved by the grace of God, you live in the Spirit. So what is your command? Die to yourself and walk in the Spirit. You can't, don't, don't confuse the two. 
Don't think you're naturally going to do one because you have the other. There's a lot of carnal Christians in the world. In fact, and I joke to you guys that I'm a recovering Pharisee. There's a lot of truth in that joke. But from a very pharisaical point of view, if you're not careful, you begin to look around at carnal Christians and you'll just go ahead and conclude what about them? Well, they're not even saved. Brother Lucky and I, we theologically spar. Is that a good word for it? We usually go to Denny's and have pancakes. Well, I have pancakes. He likes potatoes. And I'll pop him in the jaw and then he'll pop me in the jaw. And I'll pop him in the jaw and he'll pop me in the jaw. And he got me so angry one time. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, Brother Lucky. We were talking about a particular doctrine. And I, I got so upset with Lucky, I said, I can't believe you believe that. I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I said, I just don't think people who believe like that are even saved. Do you remember me saying that? <laughs> and we're still friends to this day, believe it or not. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Full of the Spirit. And that, that's how you answered me. You brought me a book about being Holy Spirit filled. Praise the Lord. I don't even remember what I was telling you on that. All right, anyways. If, oh, live in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. If we're not careful, we'll just simply assume that all carnal Christians are not Christians at all. Aren't you glad God doesn't assume that about you when you're being carnal? That's mm. what grace is for. What does he do when we sin greatly? He gives us more grace. It's amazing. Yes. And then verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So we'll finish in Corinthians then. Paul calls them carnal for preferring the divisive associations. He says, one of you says, I'm of Paul. The other says, I'm of Apollos. He says, are you not carnal for doing this? And we're not going to get there tonight, but just read what he goes on to say. He says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're nothing more than God's slaves. MacArthur says here, factionalism is the divisive product of carnality. When we're being fleshly, it will cause factions. By resorting to such contentious practices, the, the Corinthians behaved just like the unbelievers around them. In Christ, they were called to fellowship. By quarreling and dividing, they lived as the world who did not have the Holy Spirit. They were striving against the goals of the gospel and of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is a lot. It was just four verses, but we're thankful for it. Now help us as we think on it and as we work it through and as we take it into these bite-sized pieces of meat that we need in our Christian life. Oh, Father, help us to hear you and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray.